0: africa rise and shine africa Africa, africa amka, na
1: a very good morning once again and welcome to africa rise and shine this is channel africa we the voice of the african renaissance we come in live to you from johannesburg here in south africa we are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on DSTV's Audio BK channel 902. I'm Tabi Hoko, and with me in studio is Anne Musa and Figide Lamati. Top stories in Africa rise and shine at this hour. Pan-African Parliament dismisses assertions that EU funding will compromise its independence. More reaction to the suspension of Brazil's President Dilma Rousseff in economics. World's economy's low-growth trajectory is unlikely to change. And in sports, athletes prepare for the Diamond League meeting in Shanghai. And Musa with the news.
2: They will fight corruption and impose discipline on inefficient bureaucrats who frustrated investors. Museveni was addressing visiting African presidents and other dignitaries in his swearing-in speech. Authorities blocked Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp and other social media citing security concerns ahead of the ceremony in Kampala in which Museveni was sworn in for another five-year term that will extend his rule to 35 years. Meanwhile, American, European and Canadian representatives who attended the inauguration of the Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni in Kampala walked out in protest over the presence of Sudan's leader Umar Abashir. Abashir attended the ring in ceremony in defiance of international warrants issued by the International Criminal Court for his arrest on charges of genocide. Human rights organization Amnesty International earlier asked Uganda to arrest al-Bashir as Kampala was a signatory to the Rome Convention. South African courts criticized the government for failing to arrest al-Bashir when he was in Johannesburg for an African Union summit last year. Scores of Tunisians took to the streets in the southern governorate to protest against terrorism in the country. The march follows the killing of four security personnel during a security operation on Wednesday. A terrorist detonated his explosive spout, killing the security officers in the process. Earlier on Wednesday, two terrorists were killed in a security raid northwest of the capital, Tunis. Sixteen suspects were arrested during the operation. The Pan African Parliament has dismissed any assertions that its independence might be compromised by funding received from the European Union. The EU is believed to have injected a multi million dollar bailout into the coffers of the cash strapped Pan African Parliament. The money is said to be used to fund operations of the Parliament, including fact finding missions in Africa. Parliament President Roger Ngodo Deng was reluctant to indicate exactly how much they'd received from the European Union but indicated that they needed funding.
3: No, we need to have very good staff first. You know we processed in the recruitment, nobody has uh, the qualification to work to to parliament. We are coming here to spend only two weeks. After two weeks we go home and then we need one secretary who can work very hard so when we come, every document is ready. So we need first to, to get very powerful, very performance staff, so we can work in time.
2: And finally, a call for calm and dialogue in Brazil has been issued by the UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon following the suspension of President Dilma Rousseff by the Senate. According to media reports, the country's vice president has taken over as the interim leader. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric.
4: The Secretary-General has been following closely recent events in Brazil. He calls for calm and dialogue among all sectors of society and trusts that the country's authorities will honor Brazil's democratic processes, adhering to the rule of law and the Constitution. The Secretary-General is grateful for the important contributions of Brazil to the work of the United Nations.
2: That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time.
0: Africa, rise and shine.
1: Thanks, Ed Musa, with the news. The Pan-African Parliament has dismissed any assertions that its independence might be compromised by funding received from the European Union. The EU is believed to have injected a multi-million euro bailout into coffers of the cash-strapped PAP. The initiative is a result of a 2015 draft declaration on the European Parliament's technical support to PAP. The money is said to be used to fund the operations of the Parliament, including fact-finding missions on the continent. Senior political
5: journalist Amos Sapahu reports. The penultimate session of the pan-african parliament's fourth sitting unveiled some good news for the institution's financial well-being for years the pap has relied on handouts from its parent organization the african union but purse strings have dried up in recent years leading to the pap's failing to settle its accounts and also missing out on critical fact-finding missions pap president roger ngore was reluctant to indicate exactly how much did they receive from the european union but indicated that they are in dire need of funding.
3: We have a lot of problem of finance.
5: Like AU, AU
3: have a problem. The member member state did not pay the contribution. So we are one of the uh, organ of AU. So we have the same same situation we have here. We don't have our budget is in part of the AU budget. If AU don't have money, how can we have money? In the past and now, AU continue to bring the contribution in PAP. But this contribution is, uh, uh, you have to, they bring the contribution for some subjects who interest AU. But another uh, sector, you cannot find it. This,
5: the parliament has been very consistent on its anti-colonial stance and anti-European's meddling in African matters. But there has been concerns raised from some quarters that accepting assistance from the EU will compromise PAP's autonomy. However, human rights activist and a researcher at UNISA advocate Sipomandu mantula disagrees.
6: One will say that the parliament will be very strict and will be very cautious to the various member states in terms of their dealings with various EU member states. But remember, this grant as well is to be able to assist uh, the member states and their MPs who are in Parliament how to deal with legislation and the implementation thereof. Because one of the things that has been a challenge in the Parliament is the issues around the implementation. As you know, that this Parliament has existed for more than 11 years, but we have not seen any implementation of their policies or laws. And as well, like I said, the EU will still have authority over all its member states. One will say that maybe this fund of the EU, it is all about its own uh, international contribution towards Africa, because some of these EU states have taken part in many conflicts in uh, Africa during the post-colonial days.
5: Ngoto Dang says the parliament will remain neutral in dealing with the EU despite the bailout. He says the funding will go towards oiling the PAP machinery.
3: No, we need to have very good staff first. You know, we processed in the recruitment. Nobody has uh, the qualification to work to, PA, to parliament. We are coming here to spend only two weeks. After two weeks, we go home. And then we need one secretary who can work very hard. So when we come, every document is ready. If you have been in your plenary, you have some problem for documentation, it's because our our personnel, our staff is not performing. So we need first to, to get very powerful, very performant staff so we can work in time.
5: The PAP has meanwhile called on donors to volunteer financial resources to enable it to continue operating. Some member states have not been contributing and this has led to major constraints. am Amos Power in Pretoria.
0: This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silosi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: The establishment of police stations and other rule-of-law institutions in Darfur could help internally displaced people to return to their homes. That's the assessment of Martin Uhomohobi, head of the Joint African-United Nations Mission in Darfur. UNAMID's tasks include protecting scores of civilians fleeing ongoing fighting between Sudanese government forces and various rebel movements. Uho Moibi recently traveled in the region to meet displaced people and refugees from neighboring South Sudan.
7: In the course of this sector's visit, I was able to interact with the IDPs, particularly at Kalma. I was able to see firsthand what the challenge is. On the issue of voluntary return, the ones that I met in Kalma obviously are not, don't feel safe and secure to be able to return to their places of origin. Uh, so here, what we need to do perhaps is to see how we can deal with the perennial problems of land rights. And this is a governance issue. We also have to see how we can have in those places rule of law institutions, police stations, and to ensure that if their lives are threatened, they can get justice and they can get protection. Unless these institutions are in place, it will be really difficult to win them, to give them that security and assurance to be able to return there. They have also talked about the lasting peace. Sustainable peace. This is the ultimate objective of UNAMED, to help to lay the foundation for sustainable peace. One way by which that can be addressed is to have institutions that will outlive UNAMED. Rule of law institutions. Institutions showing government readiness to deal with those issues that threaten the life, safety, and security of the returnees themselves. We also have to have structures that can mediate in conflicts and help to resolve issues before they escalate and become bigger issues in the future. You have also visited the South Sudanese refugee camp here in Aldean. How do you describe the situation there? Uh, The situation there is really very dire in my view. Uh, These are people who have moved from their own country into a troubled region uh, so it is double jeopardy that they are facing but yet I believe it's not insurmountable this would require real work by the United Nations and the African Union of how to address the situation in, in South Sudan and also address the situation in their place of refuge now my message for the pull of Darfur is that they must look at this whole situation comprehensively and they must resolve in their heart to give effect to the clarion call that peace is priceless. We must have a change of attitude. We must have a change of mind that we all must desire and actually work for peace. And that peace cannot be achieved through the barrel of the gun. Peace can only be achieved through a reorientation, an attitudinal change that puts emphasis on dialogue, on conversation, on trying to listen to the other side.
1: That's Martin Uhomoibi, head of the Joint African Union-United Nations Mission in Defer, Sudan, talking to UN Radio's Adam Ahmed. Now, traditional leaders in South Sudan are being called upon by the UN to promote peace and reconciliation as people return to their homes following conflict. The country is beginning to emerge from two years of instability after a unity government was formed. Thousands of South of Sudanese who fled their homes and are returning. The United Nations mission in the country organized a workshop in Bentu, in the north of the country, to encourage the traditional leaders to play a key role in ensuring a peaceful return. More from Salifu Kamara, civil affairs officer at UNMISS.
8: More than 50 traditional leaders, including women, And the youth, they were there. Then one of the topics we, we treated was conflict management and then conflict transformation and then the understanding of the compromise peace agreement and then reconciliation we targeted these topics because uh, this was uh uh, it was a diverse instead area during the conflict more than 90 percent of the people left the payam and then they came to to the poc site in uh, bentu so they have started returning the population is increasing as a result we expect some social issues to start coming up so we decided to target the traditional leaders because they will be the people under pressure and they will be the people that will that will start to manage some of this conflict that will be emerging from the community. So these are the topics we treated. Why do you think this is very important at this time in South Sudan? This is, this is one of the most important time we are supposed to be taking this message to the people returning to their original places. As some of the traditional leaders they said uh, yesterday was the first workshop that uh, they are able to explore some of the root causes of conflict at local level. We are also going to all the other places where people have started so that uh, they will continue to enhance their capacity will strengthen the resilience of uh, traditional leaders and even youth so, uh, civil society organizations to manage conflicts to, to, to manage expectations without them we cannot do our work. They are our main interlocutors so we are meeting them so that we we'll continue to engage them so that they are also trying to engage their own community. When they left some of them they left their livelihood, they have left their the plantation they have left their foods and they have not met anything again so some of these issues starts coming up and they are in position to settle the, all those issues What do people say about peace and reconciliation uh, and forgiveness uh, in South Sudan? What do they say about these uh, two things? The traditional leaders were of the opinion that if only they can resolve, they can transform their social relations, they can transform the attitudes of the people, if they can transform the structures that are dividing the people instead of uniting them, they are saying there will be peace in South Sudan. We give them the tools. them to manage conflict so they're happy hello listener join channel africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations channel africa is turning 50 in may this year join us as we move through memories of this
9: station since 1966
1: Somalia as a chief diplomat has lauded Kenya as a progressive government that will uphold its commitments under international law. Speaking at the United Nations in New York, Foreign Minister Abdil Salam Omar was reacting to the Nairobi's announcement late last week that it would close two refugee camps, including the world's largest at Dadaab in the country's east housing, hundreds of thousands of Somalis. Kenya has pointed to the economic burden of hosting refugees for almost 25 years while becoming increasingly concerned about security risks posed by militant fighters it believes have infiltrated the sprawling area. brass peace.
4: A letter seen by SABC News and sent to Kenya's government by the UN's humanitarian coordinator in the country warns of the grave humanitarian consequences if it carries out its decision to close the camps. Affecting six hundred thousand refugees.
9: I don't know where the announcement that just came the last. 48
4: Somali months. Foreign Minister Abdi Salam Omer.
9: For the record that Somalis are very grateful to Kenyans for keeping those refugees for twenty years or or more. They have given them home. They have even given home those who are not uh, so destitute and we have invested in Kenya and lived in Kenya and our families lived in Kenya. So we consider Kenya a very progressive state, but we also consider Kenya as a country of rule of law and a constitution and to fulfill their commitment to international law. (laughs)
4: There are conflicting reports about whether Kenya will also close a second camp at Kakuma, home to mainly South Sudanese refugees, but Dadaab residents have been given until the end of the month to leave the country. Somalia's foreign minister remained optimistic.
9: Nobody wants to be in refugee camp for 20 years, so it has to be orderly. It has to be respect for the human rights of those uh, poor people, and it has to be safe for them to return uh, to Somalia. And I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, the Kenyan government, which is a very progressive government, and our brothers and sisters who even send uh, military troops to support us, uh, will do the right thing
4: pointing to a joint agreement between his government, Kenya, and the UN's Refugee Agency, signed in 2013, that repatriations from Kenya to Somalia be voluntary.
9: In the final analysis that Kenya will live up to its obligation to <coughs> refugees, and uh, we have a mechanism called tripartite agreement between Somalia, Kenya, and UNHCR, that 80,000 80, Somalis returned to Somalia 2015.
4: It's unclear how many Somalis have voluntarily decided to return home, but with war still raging in many parts of the country, international aid organizations believe it would be difficult to forcibly send refugees home without being able to guarantee their safety once there. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York.
1: You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. My name is Tabiso Lohoku on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. The suspension of Brazil's President Dilma Rousseff may be cause for concern for other members of the BRICS group. The recent economic woes of the South American country have now been hit by a political crisis, with Rousseff facing a trial which may end in her axing. At the heart of the charges, Rousseff faces are allegations of borrowing from state banks to give a false picture of the country's finances in order to secure her re-election two years ago. Speaking broadly about the economic grouping of ANC Secretary Gweta Mantashe had said BRICS countries are a vulnerable, in a vulnerable position to the threat of regime change by Western countries, a notion that some commentators have
10: rejected. Debu Mugobo compiled this report. With two years still left to complete her term as president, Dilma Rousseff finds herself on the ropes. She has been defiant since allegations of her manipulating government accounts to give a rosy picture of her administration's finances came to light. The Brazilian president has ignored calls to resign, making an unsuccessful last-ditch attempt to stop the impeachment proceedings in the country's supreme court. Last night's marathon Senate session, where parliamentarians voted to suspend and take steps to exile, may be the beginning of the end. Political economist Roland Henwood says the developments in Brazil are symptomatic of what is happening across BRICS countries, which include economically alien Russia, China and South Africa.
11: Many investors and people looking at BRICS from the outside have over the last month, some a bit longer, been saying that BRICS is not viable, BRICS is not that the important role player that we thought it would be in global terms. And and there are those who are moving away from BRICS, saying there are other countries and groups of countries that are more important, more viable as investment partners and destinations. And kind of BRICS is last year. It's no longer that important anymore.
10: South America's most populous country is suffering its worst recession since the 1930s, which has seen its economy shrink by 3.8% last year. Allegations of mismanagement and corruption, particularly with regards to state-run oil company Petrobras involving Rousseff's Workers' Party, have seen widespread disgruntlement with government amongst Brazilians. Impeachment proceedings against Rousseff expected to last for approximately six months are expected to make a bad situation even worse. Speaking broadly about the BRICS countries in an earlier interview, ANC Secretary General Guedemontar shared this to say.
8: The destabilization of the BRICS country is very, very clear and uh, clearing, except India, which is governed by a right-wing party. All the others are destabilized one way or the other. And they came to this thing, and they say regime change is increasingly widespread Western practice of overthrowing legitimate political authorities by provoking internal instability and conflict against governments that are considered insubordinate to their interests, replacing them with pliant puppet regimes that then pander to their interests.
10: It is, however, a contention that Henwood believes is not true in Brazil's case.
11: The the problems in Brazil come from within the governing party. It comes from within the governing coalition. It comes from the people closest to the presidency and the leadership. And it goes to the heart of the leadership of the party because of those who have been involved in it. serious corruption, not allegations, but serious practices of corruption. You don't need enemies outside of the country if you do these things. You are going to destroy yourself. So that question of external forces, come on, let's get real. If you have a clean act internally and you have those problems, then you go there. But if you have the massive problems domestically that you are dealing with, you don't need enemies any- on the outside.
10: While the trial takes place, Rosef will be replaced by a vice president, Michel Temer. This time in Brazil has been described by some as the country's darkest hour since the end of that country's dictatorship. I am Tebu Mokob in Johannesburg.
1: Good news for our listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605447. 1-7-double-1. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605 47 Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: Brazil has been plunged into renewed political turmoil after the Senate voted to impeach President Dilma Rousseff. The Senate voted in favour of putting Rousseff on trial for breaking budget laws by 55 votes to 22. For more on this, SAFM's Sakina Kamuendo spoke to Tom Wheeler, an independent commentator and a former diplomat.
12: She has been accused of manipulating the national accounts to make the, the deficits look better. Uh, so it's, unfortunately, Brazilian politicians are um, well-known for their corruption, and there was a, a scandal a while back about the national oil company called Petrobras, and this sort of set the tone for what has happened now. With the decline in the economy of Brazil, Uh, uh, And then this manipulation of the accounts, it has made the Senate and also the lower house voted earlier and came to the same conclusion, uh, makes her look as though she is, uh, you know, fraudulently uh, uh, affecting what is known publicly about the, the government's accounts.
13: So what are the political ramifications for Rousseff now that she's been suspended?
12: Well, she will now go on trial uh, for a period of 180 days. Uh, a trial run, run by the Senate, and um, if she is found guilty, then she will be uh, pushed out of office. She's suspended at the moment. She is not. Uh, she she still remains the president, but not in, able to exercise the office. And uh, Michael Timmer, the vice president is acting president for the duration. Now, this could go on for about 180 days, and at the end of that, there will be a, a decision which, if she is, um, if she's found guilty, she will have to leave the presidency. If she is found not guilty, then she will resume her office.
13: So, in order for her to be ousted for good, she would have to be convicted by at least two-thirds majority of the Senate. Do you think she stands any chance of political survival there?
12: Well, to judge by the vote that took place in the Senate on Thursday, it doesn't look very hopeful for her because a a large majority of the senators voted to go for this impeachment trial.
13: And then just looking at the Brazilian economy and um, the stress that 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 around, but we know that they've been relegated to junk status by Moody's, Fitch, and um, Standard & Poor's. Is there any chance of a turnaround of that economy following the latest shenanigans?
12: Well, you know, they're also affected by the price of oil, like several other countries. Uh, they're, um, and then the the whole economy is in a, in a dire state. So uh, Temer, who is not of the same party as uh, Rousseff, has uh, said that he will work to improve the state of the economy. So it remains to be seen what he can achieve, whether he can improve, a, uh, make it a more business-friendly environment for uh, the, the business people of, of Brazil. And uh, then, of course, if the oil price improves, that will also help. But there's no sign of that just yet.
13: And, of course, all these developments, uh, Tom Wheeler, playing out uh, with uh, just about uh, three months before the start of the Olympic Games that are to be held in Brazil, what bearing could this have on the Games?
12: I don't think it would affect the Games at all. They're run independently of the Brazilian government. It's just a very uh, great, great embarrassment for Rousseff, that she won't be able to be present there as president. I suppose she could go as a sort of a private citizen, but probably uh, to avoid embarrassment, she would stay away. And uh, so I don't think it actually affects the, the games themselves.
13: And then just finally, um, Rusev has indicated that she would challenge her detractors because um, she feels that this is a coup against her. What's your thinking around this? And do you think that she might be successful in the long run?
12: That's difficult to tell. That's anybody's guess. It depends on what information the, uh, is led against her, what evidence is led against her, and how the Senate, which is the court in this case, decides to... Um, uh, you know to to deal with the case whether they will are still convinced at the end of the 180 day trial uh, that she is in fact guilty of what she's charged with or whether they change their mind
1: now moving on to the democratic republic of congo the united nations mission in that country says its mandate is not to protect political actors unless this is instructed by the security council in new york We'll have details on that story after the news headlines with our very own Anne Moussa. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605 1711 So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America... Simply dial 605 47 Channel Africa, the voice of the African renaissance.
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. In the headlines, Uganda's President Joe Museveni has pledged to fight corruption and impose discipline on inefficient bureaucrats who frustrated investors in his swearing-in speech. The Pan-African Parliament has dismissed any assertions that its independence might be compromised by funding received from the European Union. And activists in London has alighted the plight of Nigerian Muslims and the leader Sheikh Ibrahim Zagzaki As the country's president attended an anti corruption summit. Those are the stories making headlines.
0: Africa, rise and shine.
1: thanks and musa and she'll be back at the top of the hour with a detailed news bulletin Now, the United Nations Mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo says its mandate is not to protect political actors unless this is instructed by the Security Council in New York. The statement was made yesterday at a weekly press conference in Kinshasa following the hearing of Moses Katumbi, a former governor of the mineral-rich province of Katanga in the Lubumbashi High Court for allegedly hiring mercenaries. John Nual Bamweza reports from Kinshasa.
14: Moses Katumbi is expected once more this Friday in the High Court of Lubumbashi for another hearing after he has appeared in the same court on Monday and Wednesday for allegations of hiring mercenaries in order to destabilize the republic this happens while Katumbi who's also a famous businessman has announced his candidacy in order to succeed to president Joseph Kabila whose second and last term is ending in December and this country's Constitution doesn't allow him to seek another term the UN mission here is closely looking at the Moses Katumbi's case although its spokesperson Charlotte Antoine Bambara has refused to comment until the court
15: decision can be known when, uh, judicial case is open, we don't comment on it. We will wait until the end and see the result and comment and give our analysis on the result or the verdict of the, the trial. So we are waiting and see how it will evolve and uh, at the end as I say, we will have our say. We don't comment on any judicial cases. And I think we need to wait and see what will be the judge's verdict. And after that we will uh, comment of course and we will tell you exactly what is our position.
14: Moses Katumbi has become a strong opposition leader since he resigned from his position of the Katanga province governor last November and before being sued, he has denounced the threats from the government. And in case he should seek protection from the U.N. mission here, he won't be easily helped unless the U.N. Security Council should instruct from New York, since Monusco doesn't protect political actors but civilians. Once more, the U.N. mission's spokesperson, Charles Antoine Bambara, explains.
15: I think the first responsibility of all political leaders, security in the country, remain on the hand of the government, of the hand of the national security forces. And I can say that if Moise Katumbi asks, you know, protection from the UN, officially we don't have a mandate to protect political leaders. We have a broad mandate of uh, protection of civilians, which we will activate, of course. But if it is a political leader, we need a green light from the Security Council. And in the past, the Security Council has granted. To different UN mission like in Côte d'Ivoire for instance the mandate to protect some political leaders so globally I can say that within the general framework of the protection of civilian and this is in uh, the resolution 2277 we can of course you know protect any civilian what, whichever political I will say uh, board he's coming from majority or opposition if we think that his life will threaten we can act of course. Police used the tear gas on
14: Wednesday in Lubumbashi to disperse thousands of people, including some other political leaders who accompanied Moses Katumbi to court. Jean-Noel Bamweze, Channel Africa, Kinshasa.
1: Without a revival in global investment, the world economy's low growth trajectory is unlikely to change. That was among the sobering messages contained in the mid-year review of the United Nations World Economic Situation and Prospects report. The report cuts the 2016 forecast for global growth to 2.4 percent, a half percentage point drop from its forecast in December. Warning of a bleak state of the world economy. The report points to persistent weakness in aggregate demand in developed economies while low commodity prices, mounting fiscal and current account imbalances combined with policy tightening have further dampened prospects in commodity exporting economies in Africa and elsewhere. Show and Price piece reports.
4: The global growth trajectory continues downwards, and that's bad news for countries embarking on the implementation of the 2030 Sustainable Development Agenda. As Assistant Secretary General for Economic Development Lenny Montiel explains.
16: While commodity prices have largely stabilized, they are expected to remain at low levels for possibly the next two years. The report underscores that a further deterioration in commodity prices would increase fiscal and currency pressures in the commodity-exporting economies and could potentially undermine the sustainability of their public finances.
4: The report warns that economic growth in Africa continues to lose momentum, And despite countries beginning the process of economic diversification, many remain heavily reliant on commodities.
16: Many developing economies, especially commodity-dependent economies with large current account deficits or high level of external debt, continue to face the risks of heightened capital flow of volatility. The reduced and more volatile capital flows, including falling foreign direct investment to Africa, Latin America and the economies in transition can further undermine the growth prospects in these regions.
4: Risks to the world economy continue to be weighted on the downside, with low commodity prices, large capital outflows, fiscal and current account pressures, tighter policy stances, weather-related shocks like El Nino, combined with policy challenges and uncertainty... A perfect storm, as senior economic affairs officer Dawn Holland explains.
17: The report highlights um, the fact that the prolonged period of weak productivity and weak investment growth that we've seen for the best part of the last decade um, may threaten the longer-term prospects of the global economy. Um, Without investment, the existing capital stock deteriorates, atrophies, becomes obsolete. Um, The workers who are using that capital um, become less productive as a result of that and it compounds itself um, and leads to a situation where there's a, a lower productive capacity in the world economy.
4: Additionally, Southern Africa faces inflationary pressures from widespread currency depreciation, leading to calls for governments to exploit available fiscal space and broaden the tax base so as to reinvest additional revenue back into the economy with a call on developed countries to act collectively amidst warnings that further monetary stimulus on its own will not lift growth.
17: A coordinated effort among
4: the large... Dawn Holland explains that all eyes will be on the G7 meeting in Japan
17: later this month. This is why we have proposed that um, a coordinated effort among the large and particularly developed economies um, would be of benefit to the whole... Whole world, Um, uh, because many countries have have many of the developing countries find their own policy space severely constrained at the moment. So, if we were to see, for example, a coordinated fiscal action among uh, several uh, large economies that could lift uh, growth in the world as a whole, um, which would um, help uh, t- all of these uh, countries, all of the um, constrained countries, um, to recover.
4: Forecasts suggest Africa will grow at 2.8% in 2016, up to 3.4% next year. Southern Africa should expect an economic expansion of just 1.3% this year. I'm Bryce Briceby's... In new york
1: south african deputy president Cyril ramaphosa has urged investors attending the world economic forum in kigali rwanda to invest in south africa's infrastructure ramaphosa was speaking during a panel discussion on infrastructure investment he told the delegates at the forum that south africa still has a large number of infrastructure
18: projects Tepo mungwai reports south africa has one of the best infrastructure on the continent The country boosts world-class road and rail network. More than 4 million low-cost houses have been delivered. Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa has attributed this achievement to government's central coordination plan.
19: And because infrastructure development was happening uh, in bits and pieces all over the place, we felt the need to coordinate and set up what we call the Presidential Infrastructure Coordination Council. That then pulled together all infrastructure projects into one hub. And we had a secretariat that had a radar view on all infrastructure projects and the money that was being spent, the investment that was going in, and the type of infrastructure.
18: According to Ramaphosa, part of the success came through government's partnership with the private sector. He urged investors to come to South Africa.
19: Infrastructure has been a key economic driver in our country and we would greatly recommend investors to keep flowing to South Africa because there's money to be made in South African infrastructure and indeed, I would say, African infrastructure.
18: He said South Africa is one of the few countries in the world where citizens are willing to contribute their taxes.
19: Our tax, uh, income tax collector has been very good, has been really robust, And has been one of those institutions that we are hugely proud of because its effectiveness has led South Africans to feel proud that they are now becoming taxpayers uh, in a very credible way and paying tax to a legitimate uh, and stable and democratic government and that has enhanced the whole process of paying tax and therefore this needs to be Something that is spread around the continent.
18: Ramaphosa is leading a team of local business representatives and ministers whose main aim at the World Economic Forum is to sell South Africa to international investors. The deputy president will later today hold a media briefing to talk about this mission. I'm Teppo Mungwai in Kigali, Rwanda.
1: Good news for our listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605 So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605 471 Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And it's time now for an economic update with me, Tabiso Lahoko. The world economy is expected to grow by just 2.4% this year, the same low rate as last year. A new report launched by the UN Department of Economic and Social Affairs, UNDESA, paints a bleak picture of the world's economy. UNDESA's Assistant Secretary General Lenny Montiel says weak global growth continues to linger, with little prospect for a turnaround this year.
16: The bleak state of the world economy clearly poses significant challenges for Member states around the world, but certainly for the United Nations development system. Forecasts for many countries in Africa, the Commonwealth of Independent States, and Latin America have been revised downward over the past few months.
1: The South African Cabinet says it has taken measures to deal with the stubbornly high unemployment rate, which spiked to record highs in the first quarter. The wobbly economy has raised the stakes ahead of local elections on August the 3rd, which analysts say will be the sternest political test that the ruling ANC has faced since coming to power in 1994. Data released on Monday shows unemployment rose to almost 27% in the first quarter. As a result, cabinet spokesperson Cuculum says the cabinet will draft a plan to develop least developed parts of the country. Gwinti says government will also focus more on technical education to improve employment. London Copper has edged up, recovering from more than two-month lows plumbed in the previous session. Copper prices have fallen back this week after senior officials said that China's government will not use excessive investment or high rates of credit growth to stimulate growth. Analyst Dan Morgan at UBS in Sydney says that a combined crackdown on speculators in China's steel markets and a dollar revival have doused a recovery in metals. The US dollar trades at 1497 in South Africa, 1086 in Botswana, 986, now that's in Zambia, 69 British pound, 87 euro, gold 1,271 dollars, platinum 1,053 dollars an ounce, brand crude oil 47 dollars, 67 cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. And it's time now for a sport update. Feele Luwati, what do you have for us?
20: First up, I have Kenya has been declared in breach of global anti-doping rules. The surprise move will mean some of the world's top athletes are at risk of missing August Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro. Kenya, one of the major forces in world athletics, has already missed two world anti-doping agency, WADA, deadlines to show it is tackling cheating in sport. WADA's compliance committee ruled the country non-compliant at a meeting in Montreal, Canada, citing issues with anti-doping legislation. And in rugby news, Bled's bokeh flyer Roscoe Speckman admits to having been a bit nervous about his place in the team after sitting out the last two tournaments in Singapore and Hong Kong, but says he remained positive that he would get another opportunity to play before the final squad for the Rio Olympics is announced.
9: I must say it was, it was, I was a little bit scary when I was at home watching the other guys playing in all of them were always putting up their hand for a position in this, this twelve or the last two and sometimes you must ask yourself are you good enough and stuff like that likes to come in your mind and things like that but uh, the nicest thing when I have guys like Chris drive with me and that guy will always keep me humble and keep me down to the ground and the nicest thing about the guys that always stay behind, they're always positive, it's never guys. It's negative so the nicest thing about our squad we always help each other no matter what and that's the nicest thing about the bled's so far bled's
20: star Quacha smith says the team must take it step by step in the build-up towards the 2016 rio olympic games and that it all starts in their first game against england in the paris league of the hsbc world rugby 7 series today
12: Yeah, that's a big thing for us. I think as a team also, we want to take it step by step, not think too far forward of Rio and think of the next tournament, the first game, England, that we can do our best there, and then it will build up to the Olympics. I'm very happy. I picked up a lot of experience over the last three years, and for me to play with the best players, it's the best for me also to measure myself against the players this weekend also, and it's another opportunity to use that.
20: And Canadian businessman Victor Montagliani has been elected president of CONCACAF and says cleaning up the embattled governing body for football in North Central America and the Caribbean will not be done in a day. After a secret ballot which produced a major power shift in the region, Montagliani, head of his country's football association, won by 25 votes to 16 after vowing to make the organization more corporate. His opponent, Bermuda's Larry Musenden, had promised to help the confederation's smaller nations montagliani says his background will stand him in good stead
0: in actions speak louder than words uh, my actions both as a family man uh, as a businessman in my country uh, and really as a human being have spoken for themselves uh, in my 50 years that i've been on this earth uh, i don't expect that to ever change and hopefully the next i'll say 50 but i'm not sure we'll get there um, and uh, the tone starts at the top uh, i've said that from the beginning Uh, From an integrity, transparency standpoint, the tone starts at the top. And uh, and I believe that um, that's one of the things I hopefully will bring to CONCACAF.
20: The 50-year-old has already said that the United States will continue to host the CONCACAF Gold Cup, which is held every two years, although other countries could host segments of each tournament. Glani says he would work to make sure one of Canada, United States, and Mexico would win the right to host the 2026 World Cup and promise to expand CONCACAF's own Gold Cup to 16 teams. I, I think that um, you know, the three
0: countries that have put up their hands are very, very strong in their own rights. And I think as we move forward, we'll uh, look for a collaborative strategy to make sure that we bring the uh, World Cup back to uh, CONCACAF for 2026.
20: That's your Sport News, this
0: hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, amuka na
1: Now, figure in your sport update, you know, you speak of a Canadian businessman who's been elected to head CONCACAF, uh, a football body. Now, lately, we've seen how businessmen billionaires multimillionaires you know are trusted or rather are the ones that uh, um, run for these positions do you think it's always a good idea to have businessmen uh, billionaires heading these organizations
20: yeah well it, it's perceived as to be a good move by all and even presidents of this world now they, they would prefer them to be businessmen who have money already they say they they wouldn't be uh, attempted you know attempted rather to at least put their hands in the cookie jar but uh, also the good thing about this is that uh, you know businessmen would run the co- uh, the confederation the business way yes yeah they would they would, they would make sure that uh, it, it it generates money Then it it loses uh. so uh, confederations will, will will stand on their own without uh, going cap in hand to the uh, footballs governing body fifa so I think, it, it, I think it's, it's a move that the world now is moving. It's a direction that they're yeah. taking now from time to time that they have uh, people who, are busi- who have got a background in business, business and also who have money.
1: Now, let's go get our MBAs. All right, then. Thanks, Fiks. And today in history, 1971, 91 people are arrested in Egypt as part of a purge of opposition to President Anwar uh, El sadat Now, today also in 1984, well, that's when I was born, after an 11-week ordeal, 16 Britons are finally released by Angolan rebels. And in 1973, Colonel Muammar Gaddafi, Premier of Libya, predicts the use of oil trading restrictions as a form of Arab nationalistic protection. And it is Africa Rise and Shine. My name is Tabiso Nohoko. Everything does come to an end, I suppose. Now that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today from myself, Tabi Solohoko, producer, Pumuzo Ramakata, Homo technical producer, agent, Kenny. Thanks, guys. And the rest of the team, thank you for listening. For comments about the show, send us an SMS. It's on 279796957930. It's 27-796-957-930. Or an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Africa, taking us to the top of the hour for the news and the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern africa is cjb as you can hear in my background with the song titled ah, 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 the boss boss is back